Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything in healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and we are streaming live from the Mosley Professional Pharmacy Studio. And my wonderful wife will be joining us later. I am hoping we've got to run the pharmacy, so she's going to be down shortly to join us. And today, you don't want to miss this episode because we have Dr. Carmen Cavalli back on our episode, on our uh, podcast, and we've got the four-part series on and today she's going to talk about one of the more common ones and that was that is going to be we're going to wrap all this into the four-part series at the very end when we talk about mommy makeover so you want to stay tuned for these other episodes dr cavalli welcome back to our show and tell us all about tummy ah thank you well that's a loaded question (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having me back no i had a great time a few weeks ago talking about breast augmentation Uh, we covered a lot in 30 minutes um, so yeah, tummy tucks are bread and butter plastic surgery. I mean, every every consultation day is filled with women who want to get their bodies back after they've had babies or after they've had substantial weight loss. What about men? You said men women? too. Okay. Men I've got a little. Come. I got a little tummy going on. Now that's <laughs> a little different. So men more. You know, we'll, we'll cover that. So basically, right. it, when we're talking about abdominal contouring. There are three components to that. You know, someone comes in and says, you know, make this look better. And they're looking at their stomach. So I have to assess how much of this is fat, how much of this is skin and skin quality changes, and how much of this is muscle looseness. Men don't have muscle looseness for the most part, unless they've weighed, you know, 350 pounds and now they've lost 200 of those pounds they might have some muscle stretch similar to a a pregnancy just from the previous intra-abdominal fat that was there to expand those muscles. But for the most part, muscle is not a problem for the men. So for the women who have had babies or who have had massive weight loss, the muscle stretch component does matter very much. So if someone comes in with no muscle issues, good skin tone, and just some extra fullness that they want to contour, we're not necessarily going to talk about a tummy tuck. That's going to be liposuction. Oh, okay. Because a tummy tuck, and more often in men, it's liposuction that we use to do the contouring in men because they don't often have the muscle component that needs to be corrected. Uh, And they usually have better skin quality than women. Again, unless they've had massive weight loss because stretch marks set in and that's a sign of loss of elasticity in skin. Once you have stretch marks, that skin's not going to snap back and ever be flat and smooth again. Um, So if someone's had massive weight loss, a man, um, then we might start with liposuction and see how far we get with that. And if there's just too much loose skin left behind, that's not going to snap back and sit flat. Then we do a male tummy tuck. Basically, when you're talking about skin quality, you're talking about lack of stretch marks you're saying is that what you're talking about when you're talking about skin skin quality i'm talking about yes so once stretch marks have set in you know that skin has lost its elasticity okay. so really it's skin laxity um and ability to to snap back <laughs> that i'm talking about so if somebody okay. has has just had 20 pounds up and down, that skin's going to be fine. It's going to go, it's going to have memory and go back to where it was once the the extra fullness is removed. But someone who's had twins or someone who's had just a big baby or even a normal baby, some women just 
are more genetically prone to poor skin quality than others. Um, so for those, we need to address the fullness from in the form of fat. We need to address the extra skin that's not going to snap back if we just empty it out. We're going to make it worse, actually. It's going to be now a crinkled balloon that's further deflated becomes what? doesn't suddenly become smooth. It becomes a more crinkled balloon. Um, so if you can imagine someone with loose skin that we're further deflating with liposuction, that skin's not going to be good at the end. It's not going to be flat and tight and smooth. So what I tell anyone with all three, if you've got loose muscles, loose skin and extra fullness, then the only thing that's going to make you flat and tight and smooth is a tummy tuck. That's it. There are no other options. If you just want to be smaller and the skin doesn't bother you and maybe the roundedness of the muscle doesn't bother you, we can certainly compromise and do just liposuction. But even the people who come into my office saying, oh, yeah, I don't want that tummy tuck. Um, I'll be happy with just some liposuction. Once we really start talking and I say, I, I need you to stand up and show me what you're hoping your results are going to be. They always pull up, pull up their belly, and it looks flat and tight and smooth. And I say, if that's what you want, you're not going to get that with liposuction alone. Even power-assisted liposuction, even you know any other fancy kind of liposuction that you hear about, no liposuction is going to make you flat and tight and smooth if you have stretched muscles or loose skin. Only a tummy tuck will do that. So the way we do a tummy tuck, it's outpatient surgery. Come in and go home the same day. And that's true even if we combine this with other procedures. And I say that because every tummy tuck I do, I include liposuction. The liposuction is on that upper hip and waist area to kind of curve out that hourglass. Because if you make someone flat and tight but leave them wide, that's not a good look either. So you've got to really contour that waist. And that's usually um, more of a thick thickness component that responds to liposuction. Um, there are two scars that go along with a tummy tuck. They go along with a traditional tummy tuck. <laughs> so there's a long, low, semi-smiley face, very low on the abdomen from hip to hip. And that scares a lot of people. Oh my gosh, does it have to be that long? It does have to be that long. Even for a mini tummy tuck, it, the scar has to be pretty much hip to hip. And that's because if you, if you pinch your own skin, and you start walking that little roll out, at some point it smooths out, right? That's where the scar has to end, where that roll smooths out. But if you stop the scar short, you're gonna have a bulge on each end. So the scar needs to be that long in order to have a smooth result. It's not because I want to make a longer scar. It's because I want to give you a prettier result. <laughs> right. right. That's, I mean, the, the details, as you shared a couple of weeks ago with um, breast enlargement, we were really talking about it's not just breast augmentation. Right. right? You cleared that up. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, and I appreciate that. Thanks for getting the term. Thank you for getting the um, educating us on the terms. Um, I mean, the details that, you know, you have to do as a plastic surgeon is is incredible. I mean, and I I appreciate you coming in and educating our listeners and viewers and, you know, talking to us about how important it is to have a good plastic surgeon because uh, obviously these details are very important. So um, 
go keep going on the tummy tuck here. So outpatient surgery, you don't want to make a bigger scar, but it makes you look better. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. So the, the, that was the first scar that I mentioned. There are two scars that go along with the tummy tuck, with the traditional tummy tuck. The first one is that long, low, semi-smiley face scar. It's very low. It's, it sits near the level of a C-section scar. In fact, I often remove C-section scars and just incorporate that into part of my tummy tuck scar. Mm. So you don't get an extra scar. It's all just gone. Yeah. So that second scar is a little circle around your belly button. And that's because we have to give you back your belly button. Oh, there we go. And you can see that scar. Um, this looks like a six week follow up photo. Um, I take photos before surgery. We take photos six weeks after surgery and then it's six months and one year. And the reason I can look at this and say this is a six week photo is the scar is that long, low smiley face but it's dark pink and that's going to fade over time. If this was a six month photo, it would already be lighter than that. Um, the other thing I can see that tells me it's an early follow-up is there's still some swelling in that lower belly. It's not completely flat yet. It's flatter and definitely smoother, but it's got a little fullness that you can appreciate below the belly button, between the belly button and that scar. Uh, and that's going to improve over time as well. Swelling and scars always get better with time. And obviously this woman also had a breast augmentation done at the same time. Uh, but that's a long, low scar. That's her belly button that she got back. It just doesn't look like her belly button because you don't have that wink of skin over the top of it. And because now it looks like a normal belly button and not just um, not not one with skin folded over it. So the way that works is we actually cut around the belly button, drop it in, and then everything gets dissected up, pulled down, and then the belly button comes up through a new little hole that we have to make for it. The position of the belly button doesn't change because it remains attached on the inside. It's just the external part attached to the skin that gets released. So it's your belly button that you get back pretty much in the same place it was before. I do have some leeway to move it up or down or right or left a little bit um, because oddly enough, 15% uh, of people have belly buttons that are off center. Most of them never even notice it until I point it out to them during the consultation. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did that study and said 15% <laughs> are off center. Uh, so if, if somebody says, oh, I never noticed that, sure, go ahead and, you know, fix it during surgery or just leave it, then I'll just make a note for myself, you know, leave it off center. But more often than not, we center the belly button uh, to, <laughs> as best we you can. Know, I've just got a, I've got a comment. I bet you now, I bet you because you're a plastic <laughs> surgeon and you, every time you see somebody's belly button in a picture or live, you probably are looking to see if it's centered, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Is that centered? Is that not centered? <laughs> have they had a tummy that, tuck? Have they not had a tummy tuck? Right. <laughs> yeah. And now I got to tell you, I'm going to start looking at people's belly buttons and saying, mm, is that in the center? <laughs> You'll notice it on the beach. <laughs> right. You'll start to see it. <laughs> oh. So, and by um, the way, I wanted to welcome Janet to our show. Janet just stepped in. Uh, welcome to our show, Janet. Hi, Janet. Good to see you again. Thank you for having me back. You're welcome. Appreciate it. So we're looking at this photo. Um, you know, the dark pink of the scar is going to fade over time. Um, the shape of the belly button is different. And you can see on her waist here, um, it's been sculpted in a little bit uh, with liposuction. So the whole thing is just more trim um, and shaped. This actually is a mommy makeover. This is somebody who got back her breasts and, and uh, tummy after having children. 
And so tell us a little bit about, uh, and we're going to speak on that in, oh, I think in April sometime on a complete mommy makeover so we can put all this together. And we're going to talk about liposuction next week. So we don't have to get into the details of liposuction until next week. You know, you talked about the muscles and things like that. Tell us how a C-section affects, um, you talked about having babies. Tell us how a C-section affects the muscles different than like a vaginal birth would. Is there a difference? Uh, there is a little difference. Um there are different types of C-section incisions. Uh, the one you see on the outside is 99.9% .9 of the time a long, you know, a low scar right near the pubic bone. Um, but the muscle isn't cut in that same direction. So the skin is cut horizontally, but once the OBGYN gets in there, the muscles actually split vertically which is more anatomic because the, the rectus muscles come down like two fans from the ribs to the pubic bone, basically two fans like this. And with pregnancy, they get split apart. So still two muscles, but now there's this inelastic space between them that leads to a bulge. And that's something you can't work out and get back. You can make the muscles stronger, but you can't fully close that gap that's between those muscles. So that's what we talk about when we talk about diastasis recti. That's the split of the two muscles, diastasis, the gap, recti, the rectus muscles, the gap between the rectus muscles that comes usually with pregnancies. Um, C-sections don't uh, impact that, although sometimes when the uh, OBGYN closes the C-section, they might tighten just that lower part of the muscle split, but the muscle split is from sternum to pubic bone. So tightening just that little smidge on the lower belly isn't going to make a huge difference. It'll help some, but it's not going to make a huge difference on the bulge that women will get who have that muscle split, that diastasis. The um, C-sections don't tend to weaken the abdominal muscles. It's actually the stretch of the muscles from pregnancy that can weaken the muscles, not so much the C-section itself. Um, and a vaginal birth and a C-section both impact those muscles the same way because, again, it's not the act of delivery that causes the muscle stretch. It's the act of pregnancy that causes the muscle stretch. The one thing um, a lot of women who have C-sections do complain about, appropriately so, is a bulge of skin over the C-section scar. No matter how much they work out, no matter how trim they are, there's that lip of skin that just folds over the C-section scar. And that happens because when, when the incision is closed, sometimes it tethers on the inside. It kind of sticks to the muscle. And so it creates a little indention and then any fullness over the top just rolls over it. Uh, so instead of a full tummy tuck, if somebody wants just that little C-section bulge fixed, that's an office procedure. I can really? <laughs> yes, we can just numb in the office. You're awake. We give you know we give a little Valium if somebody's really nervous and wants to take the edge off. They'll need a driver to take them home. But we can give a little Valium. We can use a little laughing gas. But we, we numb the area and literally just release that scar, cut out that scar, and close again leaving a little bolster of tissue underneath so it doesn't dent in again. So that's a pretty, that's probably the most basic type of tummy tuck would be just a C-section scar revision to take away a little overhang. There are many tummy tucks. These are good for very few people. <laughs> just like any 
a mini facelift, a mini arm lift, a mini tummy tuck. Any mini procedure tends to produce mini results. Right. Makes sense. So, <laughs> so it's appropriate for very, very specific people. A mini tummy tuck is perfect for somebody who likes her belly button, doesn't have any overhang over the belly button, doesn't have diastasis, does not have stretch of the muscle, and only has looseness below the belly button. And let me see, that's about this much of the population. Exactly. And I mean, I, <laughs> it's this many consultations. Right, <laughs> like, right. I want that mini tummy tuck because they also think, oh, if I have a mini tummy tuck, I'm going to have a mini scar. But remember what I said earlier, that scar is going to be as long as it's going to be to get rid of the bulges on the end. So even just removing the loose skin below the belly button does not give you a substantially shorter scar. Now, the, the scar you won't have with a mini tummy tuck is the one around your belly button. You'll only have the low scar on the tummy. But the trade-off is any looseness above the belly button or at the belly button is still there. So if you sit down and you can't stand what hangs over your belly button, that's still going to be there. It takes a full tummy tuck to a normal standard traditional. I hate full because people think full versus many. It really, it's the right surgery versus the one that's appropriate for very few people. <laughs> okay. well, and I, I'm I'm going to guess that probably with the mini tummy tuck that um, most women don't qualify, but probably more men would qualify for a mini tummy tuck. Is that true? No? That is yeah. true. I mean, because they don't well, are pregnant. That is true because of the muscle. Um, right. But the men who have, it is still more true for men. Uh, it's not 100% true because men who've had massive weight loss, who've lost 100, 100, 150 pounds with diet and exercise or with weight loss surgery, they tend to have that looseness that hangs over the belly button. So for them, I do have to do a traditional standard full tummy tuck. Um, but that does happen much more often in women because pregnancies cause it. Absolutely. Yes. So Janet, do you have any questions for Dr. Cavalli? So I missed a little bit of your conversation, but um, so what comes to mind for me is some people are just more easily scarred um, or keloids is what I'm really getting at, that they form keloids. So does that happen a lot with your procedure of a tummy tuck if they're already susceptible to those uh, scarring tissues? So if they come to me and they already they have a history of keloids, like true keloids, some people will say, oh, I have a horrible keloid. And when I have them show it to me, it's nothing like a keloid. It's just a scar they don't like, and, but it's not a keloid, which makes me feel better because I know they're probably going to scar fine after the surgery. But if somebody comes to me and they've already had keloids from ear piercings or from um, you know trauma in the military, then I definitely, definitely caution them about the potential scarring after any surgery that they're going to have. And we take extra precautions, um, not so much with the tissue handling, um, because I do the same for everyone with that, meaning when you're closing the tissue, you don't, you don't crush it. When you crush the skin while you're trying to put the needles in to sew, that damages the skin much more than the actual incision. So closure is very important. Um, but for keloids, you want to keep pressure on the scar afterwards in the form of tape or silicone gel. 
I like silicone gel sheeting. I'm very quick to move to microneedling or to Kenalog injections to, to tame uh, somebody with a history of keloids. Um, so we, we attack it, but you know, keloids are a horrible thing to deal with. Fortunately, um, the entire scar doesn't tend to keloid. It's usually the central lower portion and the lateral parts on the waist tend to do better for whatever reason. No, thanks for clearing that up. And yeah, silicone, I think works great for scars. It has, we've used that for years. So great tip there. Um, so what should somebody know before they go in for a tummy tuck? What should they, what should they expect before they go in? So they should expect that, you know, during the consultation, um, we're going to do an exam, but really I want to nail down what their expectations are regarding their final goal. What's your goal? If you just want to be smaller and close, I can do that with liposuction. But if you really want flat and tight and smooth, we're going to talk all about a tummy tuck. We're going to talk about the incisions, the scarring, how we sew the muscle back together from bone to bone, from the sternum to the, the pubic bone. We're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about pain control. This is so important. Um, of all of the surgeries that we do in plastic surgery, uh, this is one of the more uncomfortable ones to recover from. Uh, it's about a three-week recovery, not laid up in the bed recovery, but like an iron corset that you can't loosen. And sometime between week two and three, it gets better enough that you're like, oh, all right, now I can cough and it doesn't feel like I'm about to <laughs> pop open. Um, so for pain control, we have a whole cocktail that is non-narcotic based. I use um, an anti-inflammatory, Celebrex. I use a nerve pain pill gabapentin. Um, I use um, IV Tylenol at the time of surgery, which doesn't sound like much, but it makes a huge difference with uh, post-operative pain immediately. I leave behind a Marcane pain pump. It's a, it's an, it automatically drips numbing medicine over the part that hurts the most, which is where the muscles have been sewn together. And it's this external pump that just does everything automatically. It delivers the numbing medicine two cc's per hour over the course of four days. It doesn't take the pain away, but it makes it so much less that these other medications help enough for you to get up and get moving around. I do give some narcotic just for some breakthrough pain, but I'm so thrilled You know, over the last few years that we've been using this uh, new regimen. Uh, some people don't even fill the narcotic prescription. I rarely have to refill it for anybody. Uh, so that's important to me. It helps, you know, narcotics don't take away pain. They just make you not notice it so much, <laughs> but they right. also cause constipation. They also cause confusion. They can cause, you know, interrupted sleep. So it's better to just not have to use them if you don't have to. Amen. <laughs> uh, so a whole cocktail there to help. Um, uh, blood clots are a potential problem with tummy tucks. They're a slightly longer operation. But more importantly, what are we doing? We are constricting the whole abdomen. We're tightening those muscles. We're removing a whole lot of skin and then tightening that down. So we're sort of putting a corset around the belly. Well, what does that do? Mm -hmm. That decreases the blood flow from the legs back up to the heart. So it causes stasis, which is one of the risk factors for blood clots in the legs or DVT. That can break off and go to the lungs and call the pulmonary call. It's called a pulmonary embolus, and it can actually be fatal in some cases. And I know you guys know this. I'm I'm 
podcast. Yeah, no, please. Yeah, please educate <laughs> us. Absolutely. And our, and yeah, absolutely. Please. Um, so what I'll tell anyone coming to me for a consultation, you know, we use a whole scoring system called the a modified Caprini scoring system. And if your number puts you at a moderate risk for blood clots after this particular surgery, you're going to be on a blood thinner for 10 days starting the night of the surgery. That's something we walk you through everything. You're going to have drains. They're not debilitating. They're just annoying. We show those to you in the office. So you can see what they look like. You can handle them. You can play with them, you know, open and close and figure out what it's going to be like for after the surgery. Those come out usually in the second week after surgery. Some people keep them a little bit longer. It just depends on how much they're putting out. Um, and drains sound horrible, but they save a lot of trouble on the back end. Uh, you don't want a puddle of fluid that just sits there because your body's going to respond by creating a wall around it and making it permanent. And that's not what you want for your final result. You'll have a lump. Right. <laughs> so we leave the drains to give you a nice, smooth result. Um, those are the things we talk about during the consultation. And then is there anything they have to wear? And I'm, I'm ignorant. I don't know anything about this. Is there anything they have to wear afterwards? Like, um, yeah, anything they have to wear afterwards or do, uh, right after the procedure? Great question. So we have all of our patients wake up after surgery in the garments that we want them in. For a tummy tuck, we use um, basically a, like, it's like a high-waisted girdle looks like underwear, but it comes all the way up under the bra line and it's tight. So it's not like panties. It fits like a girdle, like a, a, a waist shaper, if you will. So you want compression on it. Um, and some people don't like the way the compression feels, but as soon as they get out of it, they realize it's better to be in it <laughs> than out of it. That support definitely also gives some pain control uh, after the surgery. Uh, you don't have to stay in that garment for six weeks, but I tell my patients they need to be in something compressing. You can switch to Spanx. Once the drains come out, you can you know abandon that initial garment and switch to Spanx as long as at the end of the day, you still feel like you're not overly swollen or weighed down or bloated. If you are at the end of the day, but you're not at the beginning of the day, that's a sign that you're still having a lot of swelling that needs to be controlled. So for about six weeks, I have people wear at least Spanx after they come out of the original garment. Spanx are good. <laughs> Spanx are good. <laughs> yeah, didn't even mean to advertise for them, but you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jan and I, I have uh, met met the developer of Spanx, the, the CEO, and she's amazing. Amazingly hardworking person for sure. So, um, yeah. No, thank you for that. So what about um, – long-term follow-up or even short-term follow-up so it's office procedure do they see you in two weeks they see you next day what how does that go for a tummy tuck so if we're doing a straight tummy tuck without a lot of other procedures combined um it's outpatient they go home the same day from the surgery center with someone to be with them for at least the first 48 hours i see them back in the office within the week of surgery and that's the initial follow-up visit we remove any tape that we've placed we look at the drains, we look at the drain charts. They're not usually ready to come out at that point, but we look at the trend anyway to make sure it's going in the right direction. Um, then we see um, the, our patient again, usually in that second week for the drains to come out. And that's as quick as take a breath in, when you breathe out, they're gone. It's just that fast. 
So I, I tell my patients, don't get all up in your head about the drains. They sound horrible, but they're so much worse in your head than they are in real life. So first week, second week for drains. And then the next routine follow-up is at six weeks and then six months and then one year. And you can see, if you look at photos at each of those time points at six weeks, six months and one year, you can see a difference in the scar and the swelling and the final shape at each of those time points. Um, so that's why we like to have that one year follow up. Um, we well, also, oh, go ahead. Well, and I think, you know, um, I can just tell from, you know, patients that have lost that we've helped lose weight or even myself that it's amazing how once you get to a weight, I mean, a year later, your body, you can stay stable that weight and a year later, your body will look different and better. So that's is why it's important to to wait a year, like you say. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially for the scar. The scar is always going to fade over time. Even if we have to push it in that direction, it's going to get better with time. And so, Janet, do you have any other questions for Dr. Cavalli? Well, I come back to the safety issue that we've heard so many people, even in our own community, that um, don't do this follow-up. And so I'm thinking about the trips that are made out of country and, and it's horrifying to me um, to think about this. But again, let's, let's reinforce what patients should be looking for if they are considering to do a surgery like this. Can you, I know you elaborated about that before, but I think it's really important for not to cut corners even on costs just to make sure that people are getting the proper care that they need following up even a surgery. Absolutely. I mean, you get what you pay for. Um, and a, a good surgeon will still have reasonable pricing. You know, the goal isn't to, mm -hmm. to break your patient. It's to right. get them where they need to be while keeping a practice going. <laughs> um, it's odd. That you, well, it's funny that you mentioned the out-of-state patients. You know, I'm in Atlanta and we're a direct flight from just about anywhere. And so I see those patients who've gone down to the Dominican to have or to Columbia to have surgeries done by people who aren't necessarily plastic surgeons and um, they pay a lot more to have it fixed yeah, right. they have to have had it done right the first time. Um, so what you want to look for when you're considering any plastic surgery procedure is someone who is certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. That's how you know you're getting someone who's done a full residency training program specifically in plastic surgery, not some other field, and then taking a few weekend courses to figure out the plastics part of it. American Board of Plastic Surgery, and then you'll have a well-qualified surgeon. Thank you for that. I I just remember in our memory bank, um, a lady from our community that actually went to Mexico and didn't make it back on the flight because uh, she didn't have any... Um, anticoagulation she yeah. died of a stroke she threw so. she threw a pe and died it's yeah. horrible so i imagine that that is a you know a possibility with going to a third world country to have a procedure done but i appreciate you giving um patients the the direction because that makes them feel better about their choices if they have an idea of what to steer toward so yeah, easier than a stab in the dark Right. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Cavalli, you are you're definitely an expert in this and I and I so much appreciate your expertise today. Um I can definitely tell you have a passion for this and it's amazing to me and I got to tell you we 
on, on both of these topics, we had no scripts and next week we have no script either. And, <laughs> I, and I just was pretty sure that you were comfortable enough that we can spend a half hour talking about this, no problem. And it's amazing to me being just a pharmacist that, you know, for a half hour, you can just talk tummy tucks, which I guess <laughs> you can probably do it for a whole day. It's kind of like me talking about hormones. I could just talk a whole day about hormones. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate it. It's been very insightful. Um, I'm going to ask a question like I always do. And since you're going to be on our show four times, you're going to maybe get tired of this question, but people like to hear it. So um, what do you have a passion for? Well, aside from my family, my kids, mm -hmm. my dogs, my cat, my five chickens. Chickens. <laughs> uh, chickens. <laughs> yes. I got you a COVID project, <laughs> but they're sticking around. I have a passion for, and this is why I built my practice the way I built it. I have a passion for making people feel on the outside the way they feel on the inside. So many people say, I look in the mirror and I don't even know who this person is anymore. You know, my body's changed because of kids or because of weight changes or whatever, or it never developed in a certain way. And it impacts their confidence, even though it shouldn't. We know that, yeah. you know, that's very superficial, but it's also part of our psyche. It's part of who we are. And if you look in the mirror and it doesn't match you, that's a hard thing to handle every single day. So I like giving that match to people and, and giving them that little extra spring of confidence that makes them feel like they look the way they feel. Awesome. Well, you're doing a wonderful job and I appreciate it. And thank you for educating our listeners and viewers. And how do people get a hold of you to learn more or to uh, contact you? Sure. Thank you. I'm at Cavalli Plastic Surgery and Skin Renewal Center in Atlanta. We do see patients from all over the nation, though. Um, you know, we've got a fly-in program that also takes into account blood clots. Okay. Uh, awesome. My <laughs> phone number is 404-250-3333. And my website is drcavalli.com. D-R-K-A-V-A-L-I.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And you do not want to miss out on next week's episode because Dr. Cavalli will be back and we're going to talk for a half hour about liposuction. Um, I already have a bunch of questions after today's show about liposuction. So they're in my head. So be prepared, Dr. Cavalli. I'm ready. I bet you are. For days. <laughs> All right. I'm sure you can. <laughs> and uh, as always, thanks for listening. You can always tune in every Monday, 1230 to 1 uh, on our Mose Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page. We also stream live on the Mose Lake YouTube site, please go to our YouTube site and subscribe to our channel. You don't want to miss out on any of these episodes. We have other videos on there that are very educational and um, you don't want to miss them. Also the podcast form. So on the Google Play and iTunes, we are on the podcast form. So don't forget to subscribe to those. And as always, please comment. Let us know what you'd like to hear, like to see. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. Thank you.